Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. I'm going to jump right into this. Today I want to talk to you about what it takes to truly please God. And in order to talk about what it takes to truly please God, you got to talk about the reasons why sometimes we don't please God. Have you ever tried to please someone? Like win their approval, impress them, anybody in the house? Any of the men in the house, you ever tried to impress a girl and you got injured in the process of doing that? Any men in the house? Come on, please don't lie in the house of God. Okay, look, I know for a fact that there are some men in here that have some stories and probably some physical scars from the times they tried to impress uh, this is actually where the phrase, hold my beer, watch this, came from, is when you were trying to <laughs> impress somebody, right? And you got hurt. That's how we have all those fail videos on YouTube. The Apostle Paul, he understood, though, that there were going to be times when you were not going to get the approval of people. And he understood what it meant to stand strong and understand where his true approval comes from. Paul was constantly up against adversity, especially in the early church and among uh, the people that he was trying to minister to. In Galatians, uh, there were a lot of people that were still fighting about what it meant to truly be a Christian, what it took to be a Christian. And there were a lot of people that were saying that it still had everything to do with circumcision. And I'll, like, I would have a major problem with that, okay, because in in traditional Jewish culture, like every male would get circumcised after they, on the eighth day after they were born. But these people were saying that even grown men needed to get circumcised too. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can be a believer. Like, like that would create some major issues for me. But people were actually saying that. And then other people say, no, you still have to fulfill the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law. And Paul is coming along and saying, it is by Christ and Christ alone that we're saved. It's faith in him. and But he... That wasn't a popular message at all, especially among religious people, especially among the Jewish community. And they wanted all the new Gentile believers to do everything that they had always believed and everything that they had always done, and it wasn't popular. Galatians 1 verse 10 says this, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If you were pleasing people, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it directly from a revelation from Christ Jesus. I love his boldness, man. The way that Paul says this, because he's just like, you know, you guys can say what you ever, whatever you want to say, but I know the truth and I know the gospel and that's what I'm going to stick to no matter what it takes. He knew he could not live his life to please others and also please God at the same time. A hip-hop artist I listen to sometimes, his name's Lecrae, he said it this way, if you live for people's acceptance, you're gonna die from their rejection. And I find that right now, that is a major epidemic in our culture. And this has just been on my heart. We're not in a series, it's a standalone message, but I've been looking at the results of so many people around me living according to the fear of man and the, and the fear of rejection from man and where that's taking them and that's where it's taking their family and their marriages and everything else. And so I think we just, 
need to talk about this and recenter a little bit around what it means to truly please God. Because what I'm finding is it's something that's it's difficult and honestly can be a little bit deceptive because I see some people that understand like, yeah, right, we don't wanna do what everyone else is doing, but they'll also let people within their own family dictate everything that they do. In other words, even if your idea or your concept or your intention is, well, I'm, I'm doing all this for my kids because I don't want them to reject me. I want to be a liked parent. I want to be a parent that my kids think is cool. And as a result, you compromise things that you know are standards in the word of God because of the fear of those people, your own kids, or maybe a spouse. But when I talk about the fear of man, I'm not just talking about, yeah, everybody out in culture. No, I'm talking about every person that God's placed in your life. God has not called you to live, to please them, but to please him. But here's the reality. You know what your kids and what your family really needs? They need leadership that live to please God and nothing else. And if you'll do that, they'll be fulfilled. They'll accomplish everything that God has for them if you'll do that. But I wanna talk about a couple of the people, some categories, and these are a little bit funny, but maybe you'll find yourself relating to one of these types of people pleasers. First of all, you got the doormat. I'll do anything for anybody. These are the people that say yes to everything. Now, before I go any further, I just wanna let you know, I can see you from up here, okay? And I can tell when an elbow goes like this. So don't be, don't be throwing elbows right now, okay? You need to give some grace to some people around you, all right? But some of you know who this is. It's, it, you feel extremely guilty if you ever have to say no. And here's the thing, like we can always count on you because we know you're gonna say yes. You say yes to everything. Will you bring snacks to the game? Yes. Will you loan me some money? Yes. Will you be the hostess for my shower? Yes. Will you be the president of the POA? Yes. Will you babysit my kids? Yes. Will you give me a piggyback ride for some reason? Yes. You're like you will. Ne- there is nothing you will say no to. Ever. But the problem is your yes to people all the time will mean at one point or another you saying no to something God wants you to do. And, and here's the thing. It, it, you put other people's needs before your own, but it is in an unhealthy way and, and not only unhealthy for you personally, but also a detriment to your call and purpose to the kingdom of God. People who say yes all the time, honestly wind up getting bitter at people, but in reality, they're just mad at themselves because they don't know how to say no. And so they seem really nice, but in reality, they're like low-key angry all the time. Like, like they're like a psycho under the surface. Like, just, just be careful, watch out, because they're constantly suppressing their feelings. And the other problem is their actions aren't always genuine. Like you don't know if they, because they wind up doing things out of obligation. Okay, well, so the problem with that is, you might even be thinking, but everything I do is for God. Okay, but the problem is the word says that if you give to God out of obligation, 
You don't even get credit for it. He wants you to give with a cheerful heart, but you can't give with a cheerful heart when you're more consumed with what people think than what he think and you're a slave to it. And so you just say yes all the time. All right, so the doormat. Then you got the chameleon. I'll change for everybody. These are the people that just change and adjust depending on who they're around, okay? My, my wife is not like this except for her accent, okay? Depending on who Cody is around, she will change her accent depending on who she's talking to. So if she's talking to her family back up north, she sounds like people from the north or more like the people from the Midwest. Oh yeah, don't you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, I know it's real cold up there right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, will you send me that recipe for that casserole you do? Yeah. And then, she's some, then she's talking to some of you ladies on the phone. I can tell. Hey, girl. Like all of a sudden, she sounds like a Southern belle. I'm like, you just, she's becoming all things to all people so that by all means, she might win some. She just changed her voice. I won't talk to you about the voice she uses with me. It's not appropriate in front of everybody. <laughs> A different accent. But people that are like this, when they're around their church friends, they want to sound churchy. Well, praise God in the heavenlies, brother. I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. This too shall pass. Amen. God works in mysterious ways. But then when they're not around their church people and maybe they're around their co-workers or whatever, they don't sound like that. So it may be that when they're around those other people, they're actually more like their actual self. They're being actually genuine at that point. Or when they get around those other people, they're compromising who they really are so they can fit in with that group of people. They just change. So when they're around their artsy friends, they try to sound like they know something about art. When they're around their sports friends, they try to sound sporty. Woo, pig, suey, woo, pig. Woo. Go, my favorite sports team, score a goal unit. Huh. Sports are good. <laughs> that, that was a great touchdown something. They always want to sound like they have knowledge about all these different areas. But in reality, they're just struggling with fear. They're afraid what people might think about them if they really knew them. They really knew them. Would they still like them? So they just change depending on who they're around. Uh, I think the problem with this, this is where, honestly, a spirit of religion can be rooted very easily. This is where hypocrites wind up developing. When you ask people, like, what are the number one reasons why they're not in church? One thing that people say is the church is just full of hypocrites. And honestly, I think the chameleon type people pleaser is one of the people that contributes to this the most because they act one way around church and they act a different way when they're not around church. But it winds up being a little bit like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus was addressing because they were always willing to put on this air of holiness and righteousness, but then they treated people poorly. They didn't act the same way outside of that. 
In Matthew 6, 5, it says, when you pray, don't act like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. In other words, don't just adjust your behavior based on your environment. Be real, be honest. Then you got the bull. And these are the people that say, I'll never change for anyone. And here's the thing, like I know, when I first started this conversation, you're like, well, this ain't for me. I don't care what anybody thinks. And that's the problem. Because the reality is these people care so much about what people think, they don't want them to know who they really are and they certainly never wanna look weak. That's the biggest fear. I've got an image to uphold. So there's a lot of different ways that this manifests, but, but maybe it's something that manifests around church. Like I'll go to church, but I'm not gonna really like get into it. Like I, I might sing like under my breath a little bit, do a little fat foot tap every once in a while. But I, I'm, I'm never gonna lift my hands, okay? I'm not saying that worship is always about the expression, but here's my question. Is he worth everything that you have? Another question I would have, when you go to a concert or you go to a Hogs game, do you act the same way? Is that, is that the level of energy that you bring? You stand there stoically? I just wanna see that by that person right there in the middle of that hogs, hog fan crowd. Honestly, that would probably be me. <laughs> I'm trying, but the spirit finger thing, it's just, it throws me off. The question is this, either he's the Lord of your life and he's given you salvation and and he's worthy of your praise or he's not. And so, no, it's not all about, you don't have to be dancing around. Well, I definitely don't want a bunch of banner wavers and people bring in like tambourines and stuff like that to church. Okay, please don't do that. But I do think that he's worthy. And I think at one point or another, we should be willing to show him that he is. But this type of personality, they're afraid that if they do anything like that, that it's gonna hurt their image what people might think if you actually really lived for God. King David, I just want you to know, this dude, he was a man's man. But at one point he's coming into the city after this victory and the word says that he danced before the Lord. Like with reckless abandonment, he danced before the Lord. And his wife got mad at him. She got embarrassed. She's like, what are you doing? All the girls were watching you. You're, you're not a good dancer. You were trying to do like some pop and lock thing, but it didn't look good at all. I'm paraphrasing. This is, this is not in any translation. But then what David says, he said, I will become even more undignified than this for my God. you will have a very difficult time 
living a life that is completely abandoned to the things of God when you're worried about your own image. If you're never willing to express your love for your creator because of your image, you're gonna miss out on so much that God has for you, so much. Here's the thing, I've been with families uh, in hospital rooms and in their homes. I was with a family just a couple days ago. Honestly, it's probably one of the harder things I've had to do in ministry in a long time. Because they got a six-year-old little boy that's about to die from cancer. And in situations like that and so many other situations, at that point, that family doesn't want these dignified, distinguished prayers. They don't care what all the words are. They just need somebody to believe with them that heaven will meet them where they're at. And they need somebody that just cares and is passionate and real and genuine. And I told them, I'm like, I got nothing to give you guys, but I know who does. So let's just pray. And I don't think it was even that great of a prayer, but I do know the Holy Spirit came and helped. They want someone that can call heaven down to earth with an urgency and radical faith that's unshakable. You also got the peacemaker. I'll make everybody happy. I just don't want to make anyone mad. I don't want to make anyone, are you mad? Are you mad right now? Are you okay? They ask that question, are you okay? Is everything okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And for those of us that have a face that we're not always sure what it's doing, when those people are constantly asking us if we're okay, we're typically okay until they keep asking us if we're okay. And then we're not okay. Then we're angry. But these people say, I'm sorry, way too much. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They, they, they will apologize for stuff that they didn't do that other people do. Like they would get in a car wreck. It wouldn't be their fault at all. And they'd be like, I'm so sorry I got in your way. They just apologize. But I will say that, that this, there's an element of this of false humility. There's an element of this of insecurity where they will present themselves as, as very humble and meek and unworthy, but really they bait people for compliments. They bait people to affirm them. And, and in that, there is an element of insecurity that really is just the passive aggressive form of arrogance and pride. Because anything that elevates your ability or inability above Christ's ability in you is pride. And so I think sometimes the peacemakers, they can operate in a little bit of that space where in reality they think, man, I'm just, a, I just, I want everybody to be okay. I want everything to be all right. I just want every, I want peace around me. But there's an insecurity in that. But typically, they're just afraid of any kind of conflict or confrontation. What I've learned is I can't really love people if I'm never willing to confront them on something. Like I, I can't tell somebody I love them and then watch them actively walk towards things that are not God's will, not in God's word and say that I love them. At one point or another, I'm gonna have to say, hey, because I love you, I have to call you out on this. 
healthy conflict and confrontation is a part of life. You can't have a healthy marriage if you never deal with confrontation. You can't have a close relationship or friendship with anyone else without confrontation. So my story, my life, look, I used to care way, way too much about what other people thought about me. I've shared some of this story, but it really started to create major issues when I got into high school because after my parents got divorced and I moved around a lot and, and I went to a lot of different schools. And so I got very consumed with being accepted everywhere I went. Like I, when I get into a new school, I wanted to be a part of that cool crowd. I wanted to be accepted. And I remember feeling this dread about certain things that I would do because in reality, I didn't want to do them, but I did them because I couldn't handle the peer pressure. And, I, and at that point, I started caring way more about what the people were gonna do and how they were gonna respond than what I knew was the conviction of, my whole, of the Holy Spirit in my, in my life and in my heart. And I felt that conviction, but eventually I would start to kind of harden my heart towards the conviction of the Holy Spirit so people would like me. And, and even in the middle of that, like later on, later in, in high school, because of that, like I would, I would date girls that I knew were trouble. Like I needed to just stay away from them. I, I'd go to parties that I didn't wanna go to, but because those cool people were gonna be there, I thought that was the best way for me to be accepted. I just did a lot of stuff that I just wasn't me. But then I needed to justify it. I hardened my heart towards the Holy Spirit. So it got a little awkward when I started really feeling this draw again towards ministry. It's like, man, I don't know about that. Like, I feel like people in ministry a lot of times are weird. I feel like people in ministry, like, people don't necessarily always think they're cool. They're not really in the in crowd, that's, that, that's for sure. And I had my plan. I had my plan. I know what I'm doing. I got a plan, okay? And my plan was I was gonna graduate high school and I had a little bit of scholarship uh, that, that someone had offered to me to go to this, this, this school down in Texas. And, and we'll just say that the name of this school had the word Christian in it. But I knew at that point that this school is actually one of the top party schools in the nation. And I also knew that this school had a six to one girl to guy ratio. So I loved everything about this school. I was really into the education that I was gonna receive there. I had my plan. And I'm so thankful that God spoke through some people and really challenged me on this. And within just a few days at a, at a summer camp one summer, God got my attention and, and put me back in the center of his will. But it meant that I was gonna have to probably do some things that weren't gonna be popular. And I just wind up going to this little Bible school in Colorado Springs, not doing what all my friends expected. Honestly, probably not even what my family expected, but just doing what I knew the Lord needed me to do. This is what Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The word snare is the Greek word mokesh. It means a noose for catching animals. And I've learned that, man, caring too much about what other people think will trap you. It'll trap you. It'll hold you. Now, here's the thing. We all care at least a little bit about what other people think, and to some degree, it's healthy. Having a good name and reputation is actually a biblical principle. It's a valuable thing to have. 
There's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked, loved, and having a level of influence. We all need some influence if we're gonna influence people towards God. It's also good to listen to others, get counsel, have mentors. The problem is when we care more about what other people think than what God thinks and what the standard of his word is. That's where the problem happens. You can write this phrase down. When people become way too big, God becomes way too small. Whoever those people are. You cannot always please God and please people at the same time. You're gonna have conflict with people. It's also very hard to feel completely accepted by God when you're consumed with the acceptance of people. It'll create a tremendous amount of insecurity even in your relationship with God when you're consumed with the fear of man. So I wanna talk about a couple of ways that I think we can live to please God. First of all, be confident about who you are. Now, I know it's like, yeah, duh. But how? How are you truly confident about who you are? Not arrogant, but confident. Let's go back to some things Paul said again. 1 Thessalonians 2. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery. As you well know, God is our witness that we were never pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. But the key to this whole passage is we knew we were approved by God. We knew that without a shadow of a doubt. And this is so key. Until you know that you are approved by God and accepted by God and what God says about you, you will always struggle with insecurity and the fear of man. You'll always struggle with that. That was the turning point for me. The turning point for me was when I actually started listening to the scripture and it not being about someone else or just a story or something like that, but I started listening to it and believing it and adopting it as something that God was saying to me for me. And that's when I became a confident son of God, when I believed that. And as I thought about like my, my childhood and I, I've talked about the insecurities and all those things I had, but I, do, I can't think of a, of a few instances where I actually had some confidence, okay? But what I remember, it was always around summer camp, okay? Because a lot of times I would go to a summer camp with a bunch of kids that didn't know who I was. They weren't from my community. So when I go to this summer camp, I could be like the cool kid. It was the weirdest thing. Like for some reason, like I had all this favor with everyone there. Like even girls liked me when I was at summer camp, you know? And I'm like, girls, I'm not here scoping and hoping, all right? <laughs> Come on, all right? I'm not here for you. But the reality was this. What I really recognized was because I wasn't as concerned or consumed about whether or not people liked me or were rejecting me, I could really focus on God. And so those services, I could worship God, not thinking about what everyone else was thinking about me. It, it freed me just to be more closely to who he created me and called me to be. 
I found the same thing that was true about missions trips. I get on missions trips and I'm like, none of these people know me. They don't even speak my language. And in that, like, man, it just puts so much confidence. I could just be who God created me to be. No, I'm not gonna share my password to my Wi-Fi with you right now. I'm sorry. Somebody asked me for that. It came up on my screen. I'll give it to you after service, okay? Here's the truth. There's gonna be people who don't get you. They're not gonna agree or understand with your decisions in your life. That's gonna happen. There may be seasons where you have to walk alone for a little bit. You have to be able to say no. John 5, 41 says this, your approval means nothing to me. This is Jesus speaking. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I've come to you in my Father's name and you've rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Number two, you gotta be clear about where you're going. Clear about where you're going. Direction of your life. Okay, so Cody and I, uh, we've been married 20 years and we're, our marriage is not perfect. Um, I, I will admit that most of the weaknesses in our marriage are because of me. I'll own that. Uh, but for the most part, like we don't, we don't necessarily get in a lot of conflict. Like uh, our, our arguments or, or disagreements are pretty short-lived. Uh, one of the things that is a consistency that can create some stress in our relationship happens when we're driving somewhere. And, and some of you are, you're laughing, but it's a nervous laughter because you, you know that this is the truth in your marriage too. Uh, you are one of those couples that if you did not have navigation, there's probably no chance that you would still be married uh, because it creates that big of an issue. But here's the thing. Uh, I'm usually fine unless Cody is the one that knows where we're supposed to be going, but we're lost, okay? That creates some issues, okay? So this last summer, we went on a family trip and we drove over 5,000 miles. But she was the one that worked really hard and she did a great job planning out the whole route, okay? And for the most part, no issues. But we got into the middle of Chicago, downtown Chicago. How many of y'all hate driving through big cities? I, especially when you get downtown in a major city, it's just, it's not where I wanna be. But she had an address and a reservation for a parking garage in downtown Chicago. I was like, this is great. So I'm just going down through there. Our nav navigation's telling us where to go. It's cool. I'm at peace. There's a British accent telling me, take a left, take a right. And I'm like, good eye, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so uh, that was Australian. <laughs> Stick with me. <laughs> Stick with me. Anyway, so we get this parking garage and we go to pull into the parking garage and we've got a luggage rack with bags on top of it on top of the car. We're not gonna fit in the parking garage. But I've already pulled down this ramp that is one way. So I start backing up. Praise be to God, there wasn't a car behind us. But I backed up and then I had to back out in this one way traffic. But now we gotta figure out where to go. And I know my wife is frantic because she knows what's happening on the inside. She knows what could manifest at any second. 
And so she's frantically trying to find another address, trying to find somewhere else to park because she knows what's coming. I'm gonna ask her, now what do we do? Where are we going? I'm driving, we still moving. Here's the problem. A lot of those downtown streets in Chicago, they're under the buildings. So as soon as you go under the buildings, you lose signal. So Satan was busy. <laughs> Wasn't a great moment. Eventually we found a parking spot. Everything worked out and I needed to just chill. It's hard to chill, guys. Here's the point. God's got a vision and a purpose for your life. But if you're not clear about those directions and where to go at one point or another, there's a good chance you're gonna lose signal. And when you lose signal, your life is gonna fall apart unless you already knew what the instructions were before you lost that signal. You gotta know what the vision is for your life and for your family, for your marriage. I think every person in here needs to have core values for your family. Like what are the things that we are unmovable about? Doesn't matter what anybody else says. And, and there's been a few instances, even recently, where our family, and I'm sure this happens to your family, it's like, well, so-and-so's doing this, and they're doing this. They go to our church. They're Christians. And it puts me in a little bit of an awkward spot, because I'm like, yeah, they go to our church, and they call themselves Christians, but they may not be. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't say that. I do say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They may have different convictions than us. And even recently, I just say, look, this is, our, this is our standard. This is our conviction. This isn't based on my opinion. My opinion, honestly, is irrelevant because the standard of the word of God is, is what we do on this. This is one of those examples. We have many verses. We use this checklist to help us with this, to find direction for our lives. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So on this particular subject, we just said, okay, kids, so is this, 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 this? The answer is no. I'm like, okay, that's the reason why we don't do it. The reason why we don't do it, it's not because what we want or we, we think or what other people's opinion is because we've decided that the word of God is the standard that leads our family. We're not gonna compromise on that. It's tough. It's tough because there are many things that are permissible, but not beneficial. There are many things that are not necessarily wrong, but that doesn't make them wise. And sometimes it means our kids think that we're, boring, or party poopers. But we know that it is not worth compromising. If we protect the standards and the core values of our family, that is the only way we're really gonna get to enjoy life. It's the only way we have joy and peace. I gotta keep moving. You gotta be confident about who you are. You gotta be confident about where you're going. You also have to be careful who you listen to. So I just wanna go ahead and give you a synopsis of this, this scripture that I was gonna read through but it's the trial of Jesus. And what's so interesting about this is you've got this Roman governor. He's been given authority over this region where Jesus is, over the Jews. And the, and the Jews, they bring this man or they, they come before Pilate and, he say, and they say, hey, we, we want you 
We want you to kill Jesus because there's this tradition that during this festival, you, you, you free somebody from prison, somebody that we want. And so we want you to free Barabbas. And Barabbas was a rioter and an insurrectionist. And in the middle of one of his riots and insurrections, he killed somebody. So he's a murderer. All right, and they said, we want you to give us Barabbas and we want you to kill Jesus. And it says that the crowd roared even louder. Every one of us have a crowd in our life. You have crowds in your life. And especially in the day and age and culture we're living in, they are getting loud. But here's what's interesting, that there's a Roman governor who's negotiating with these people. Like, just... He could have just made the decision, said, no, this is the way it's gonna be. But he's pleading with the people because I think he's the perfect picture people pleaser. He's so worried about oh, oh, what everyone's thinking. And so he, he did, he pleaded with, he's like, but I haven't found anything wrong. This man hasn't done anything wrong. And it says, but they yelled all the louder, crucify him. And so these people talked this man into killing an innocent man. Okay, now I get it. We know that it was God's will that Jesus died and it would have happened one way or the other, but I just find it interesting that this, and, and here's the thing, like he was messed up about it. He was messed up about it. His wife had even had a vision from God about it. He ignored it all. The, the noise and the volume of culture and the crowd and what they wanted superseded everything. And he gave into it. He gave into it. Here's what I've learned. You cannot follow Christ and make everybody happy. You can't. And over the last 20 years, I've had to sit down at a table across from people I care a lot about, people that I love, and I've had to tell them, I'm sorry, this is just the way it's gonna be in my life. And it doesn't make me better than you, but this is just the standard. And if, you're, if you can't be okay with that, that's okay, but I can't compromise on it. It's who I am, it's who God created me to be. I won't compromise on it. And those are some hard conversations to have. But as a result, I've also felt God's protection his grace, his peace, his mercy, his favor. Being a people pleaser is ultimately rooted in a fear of rejection and it hurts to be rejected. And anybody that says that it doesn't, you're lying to yourself. And it's our nature to crave the approval of people, the approval of our parents, our friends, people we look up to. But in the end, there's only one person that we need to care about their approval, and that is God. He's the one. He's the one. And if we can find a way to seek his approval and not others, then we'll also be able to live in his will, doing what he wants us to do, and living the way that he wants us to live. And when we do that, what's really driving our desire to please all those people, it won't actually happen trying to please people. What's really driving that desire that's in us, the only way it's truly gonna be fulfilled is by pursuing God with everything that we have. Amen? The good thing is this.
Thankfully, Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be rejected. He was rejected by all, every person that was around him, by his closest friends and by his own father. You understand that when Jesus took on your sin, it meant rejection from his father. Why did he do that? He did that so that you could live free of the fear of rejection. Most importantly, that you could live free of the rejection of your heavenly father, but that doesn't just limit to the, your heavenly father. It means so that you can live free of the fear of rejection, period. And when you live in that place of freedom, honestly, that's the only way you're gonna have relationships that are fulfilling. It's the only way. But it's the only way you get to participate in the supernatural things that God has for you too. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Scripture after scripture talks about the ways that Jesus was rejected, even prophetically said that he would be rejected. And here's a good question. I want you just to focus on this for a second. Ask yourself this question. What would I do for God if I wasn't enslaved to what people thought? What could I do for the kingdom of God if I wasn't fearful of man? Would you be more courageous? Would you take more risk? I think there's probably at least a couple people here today who you know you're supposed to take a big step towards God's will, towards something's put in your heart, a business idea, something around ministry, something around a relationship, something around giving or serving. You have that in your heart. But you're not doing it because you're scared. You're scared of rejection. You're scared of, re of failure. And this is what I encourage you to do. I would bring all those things before the cross and place yourself there and just remember, remember what Jesus did to show your value. He exchanged himself for you. That's what establishes value. What establishes value is what someone is willing to pay. And God looked at you and he established your value by saying, I'm willing to exchange my son for them. And if you can just have even an ounce of revelation in grasping that, that'll be a seed that'll fill and, and, and feed a confidence that God wants you to have in Him. What He says about you, that's what He has for you. So God, we confess those areas of our lives that we've allowed to be controlled by the fear of man, by the fear of rejection. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal those things from the youngest to the oldest. God, generational curses would be broken off people even as we think about them and pray about them right now. That even if we dealt with those or our kids dealt with those, we'd address those things and declare that they will not be handed down to the next generation, that they're gonna be able to walk in a confidence and a boldness of knowing who they are because of you. And reality is this, the only way you shed this fear is by knowing who you are in Christ. And the only way you know who you are in Christ is by surrendering to him by surrendering to him. So if you're here today and you've never said, man, I, I need to make Jesus the total authority, the supreme authority in my life. I need Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to have control. 
because I know that I need a savior. I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God. And if you're in that place and you're recognizing that, you've never said that, this may be the first time you've ever heard or knew that you needed a savior. The word says that our sin separates us from a holy God. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He paid the price, not just to save a crowd, but to save you because he saw you and saw your need and loved you and said, he's worth it, she's worth it. I'm willing to give my life for them. And if you're here today, maybe you felt like you did that at one point, but you've been away from him and you need to come back to him. Whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to pray with you because I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and I wanna give you a chance to respond. So if you're here and you're away from the Lord, you'd be willing to admit it and just and, and be humble and put yourself out there and say, I know I need Jesus and I'm ready to call on him. Nobody's looking around and I, this is not about embarrassing you. That wouldn't be the heart of God, but I wanna give you a chance to be bold enough to admit it bet between me and, and your heavenly father. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see you, make eye contact with you. You can put your hand down, but you say, man, I need Jesus. I'm ready to surrender him. Thank you so much. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to rededicate my life to him. I'm away from him. I need him. Anyone else in this room? Okay. All right, just a couple of hands. Thank you so much. I got you. Proud of you. God's proud of you. He loves you. Anyone else? Okay, Father God, thank you so much for those couple of hands. Somebody last second, that's okay. I got you. Here's what I want to do. Let's just, let's just be there for, for these people. Let's help them be able to be confident in saying this prayer. I want everybody to repeat this after me. Say it loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you paid the price for me because you love me, because you saw my value. Thank you for, for not just dying for me, but thank you for raising from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death. I give my life to you. Be my Lord, be my savior, be my best friend. Father God, I thank you for those few folks that said that prayer for the first time. Thank you for helping us to come alongside them as a church, help them to become disciples. And I pray God that we would all walk in total freedom for such a time as this, God, we need to be bold and confident and unapologetic and unwavering and living to please you. There's nothing more important. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.